let us now go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. He was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being a a lawyer, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of, let me see if I got this right, Christ? Perfect. That is so perfect. Thank you. That is just wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Yes, please. We're going to talk about... The, Everything. The Corona Task Force, Elizabeth Warren, the bailouts, Dick Burr, and uh, we'll do our religious nut of the week. Let me let me just throw this out there. I'm the eternal optimist. Okay. Do you really think it's going to be that bad? I'm talking about this segment, not the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the segment won't be as bad as the coronavirus. The coronavirus is terrible. I mean, it's much worse than a lot of people think. And I fully expect, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I am married to one. And she used to do public health in the District of Columbia. So I do take a a lot of information from her. But I believe that we will see one million deaths from this and that two-thirds of the American people, roughly 200 million of us, will become infected by the time this plays out six to eight months from now. And that's pretty serious. And then of the million people that die, uh, two-thirds of them will be people 60 and above. And uh, that puts me, I don't know how old you are, but it puts a lot of people I know in the highly vulnerable position and we have never planned for this we haven't done the right thing we haven't done the right thing for a long time we have all of the health disparities that you and i talk about a lot and um, we have uh, frankly uh, a collection of idiots with the exception of dr anthony fauci who are supposed to be guiding the policy to make sure that this doesn't put us weeks from now into the position where italy is in as you and I speak, China, Basically. China has gone a couple of days without any confirmed cases. If we believe them. OK, China, 80,928 confirmed cases out of one point three billion people, three thousand two hundred forty five have died. We lose 50,000 people each year to the influenza in a bad year yeah yeah but this one um this is a much more lethal virus this is not run-of-the-mill influenza you have to, to to find this kind of of toxicity you have to go back to the 1918 so-called spanish flu that desolated whole sections of the entire world and did of course hundreds of thousands of deaths right here in the united states in 1918 so this is much worse and we are if anything less prepared than we were in 1918 we shouldn't be we're a wealthy country we have all kinds of knowledge money but we haven't used it right. And that's why I think we're seeing 
this astronomical increase it shouldn't surprise anyone if you if you have six people and you're doubling the rate of infection the second day you have 12 people and then you have 24 people and then you have 48 people and this is why these astonishing numbers come out of places like new york city where every morning you wake up you turn on the television and you realize Within the city of New York, they've doubled the number of infections. And, of course, a lot of people are infected, but we don't know that because we don't have enough test kits right. to and, determine. And, right. That's an, so well, I think it's really – I don't think it's end of the world cataclysmic, but I think if you lose – if I'm right – I hope I'm not right – but if you lose a million people because of this, then I think you have to wonder – Who's responsible? And the president, of course, says it's China because China didn't tell us enough. But, of course, we increasingly know that they told us a lot, but that Donald Trump and the administration decided not to listen to them. Okay. I'm not trying to be irresponsible here, and I'm just – let me read you this number. Pretend Barack Obama is president, and I tell you that China had – 80,928 confirmed cases. It's now somewhat contained, they say. We can expect a second wave. And 3,245 people in China died from it. And it seems to be at this point somewhat under control. We can expect a second wave, but 3,245, one death is too many. Out of 1.3 billion people, 3,245 citizens of China have died. And it seems to have crested. (laughs) Um, But your point is, what? I don't know. Well, a lot of people in China don't live. I mean, there's a huge number of people in these very crowded cities, but there's also an enormous rural population in China. And to the extent that uh, they uh, are, by default, social distancing, that is, they don't live that terribly close to the people in the village or out in the farms, they're not likely to spread the virus or get the virus. But I'm very skeptical of these numbers in China. I mean, I I don't want to uh, – this is not a, a criticism of the Chinese people, but it certainly uh, appears to me that the Chinese government is uh, often acts in a reprehensible way. And I just am not convinced that these numbers that we're getting are honest numbers from honest brokers because I'm not sure the government of China has such people. Okay. Let us now. T- uh, I hope I'm right. Yeah, I do too. I hope I'm right. Let us now talk about the Corona Task Force. Are you impressed at all with Donald Trump lately? <laughs> no, I mean, I I find myself um, I find myself. I'm sorry, I just hit something here, but um, every day since I'm 
in place here. My wife is working from home. We don't go out of the house except to take a two-mile walk every afternoon. And But at, at 11.30 or 12 o'clock when the coronavirus task force meets, I'm glued to the television set to watch these people function or, in a sense, dysfunction. What I don't understand, whenever the president stands up there, he has notes and uh, he he looks at those notes but he he babbles he doesn't he can't put sentences together in a way that makes anyone and that it doesn't make me feel confident that he even knows what he's talking about but if his numbers had have not gone down something like 35 to 38% of america believes what he says and also thinks he's doing a wonderful job and of course even the there are people on MSNBC, there are people on CNN who say, well, in relatively speaking, Donald Trump really sounds good now because he doesn't lie constantly or he's not lying, obviously. Occupy Democrats, one of the more you know progressive uh, Democratic Party offshoots, has a marvelous uh, three-minute video that juxtaposes both Donald Trump's statements about this being a hoax with what he says now about how dangerous it is, and then shifts to Fox News characters, including Tucker Carlson, uh, Trish Regan, who's, I think, been fired by Fox, and also everyone's least favorite commentator, Laura Ingram, talking about how this is a hoax, how this is just another effort to impeach the president. But now in the last roughly 48 hours, the Fox people have been told, um, treat this a little seriously. And so now they have. But I mean, it's astonishing. And I think it's, it's important that people take a listen to what was said a week ago, two weeks ago, what's being said now, and realize that these people are full of crap, that they are talking now about this as a serious matter when they helped to contribute to the idea that it was not serious as, as recently as 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the media in this country is doing a pretty pathetic job, I think, of covering all of this. And there are huge issues that nobody talks about. They don't talk about what do you do, for example. They have these heart-wrenching, and they are heart-wrenching pictures of children, adult children, looking at their at their even more aged parents in nursing homes. They can't go into the nursing homes, so they look through the windows and try to communicate with people, frankly, many of whom appear to have dementia. They don't know what's going on. All they can do is see somebody who they may or may not recognize, their child, outside a window trying to wave to them. Right. But where where is the consideration of what you do with these people in serious uh, problems in, in nursing homes? We don't have enough protective gear we don't have enough masks we don't have enough tests one of the things we need to do is we need to test people do blood tests to determine whether someone had the virus because that's the only way you determine whether someone is 
in theory, immune from getting the virus. It, there's not much evidence. There's a couple of individual cases, but there's not much evidence that if you get the virus, uh, you're going to be able, you're going to get it again because you're probably immune in the same way that most viruses. You get something and then you get over it, and then you don't get it a second time. So how how are we? Let me let me. You've been doing this for a while. Uh, living in Washington, people have agendas, don't they? Of course they do. And people bring their expertise to any conversation. So if you ask a reverend about the coronavirus, he's going to filter it through, not necessarily you, but you're going to filter it through your knowledge of the scripture and if you ask a lawyer, he should filter it through his knowledge of our legal system. If you ask a journalist or a podcast host or MSNBC, they filter it through the prism of Trump drop the ball. You turn on MSNBC and their go to is Trump dropped the ball. Uh, yeah, I know he did. Of course he did. He's Donald Trump. Uh, I can't, I just wonder about our critical thinking right now. Are we able to consider the source of all our information? Who is telling us this stuff and why? What is their agenda? Well, yeah, we, we can and we should do that, but there is a tendency, um, these days and for the last many days, many years, uh, to focus on one of our favored commentators. If you like Fox News, then you're going to believe Laura Ingram. You're going to believe Tucker Carlson. You're going to believe Sean Hannity. If you like MSNBC, um, then you think, i got to listen to Rachel tonight. Oh, what does Chris Hayes think? Because we... We've segregated ourselves into those. And then, of course, the old thought was, well, at least CNN is kind of the go-to neutral observer. But I think that that's not true either. I think, if anything, uh, CNN these days cares too much about getting these comments from the administration. I don't think – I literally don't think Kellyanne – Conway has anything to contribute to any conversation if what you're looking for is substance. She's told what to say. She says it. People either like it or hate it. Right. I, I think but the point people I, I, I think substance. The, yeah, I think the question that we should ask ourselves is what is your job? What is it that you Want. So I would think if you live in a small town in Northern California and you're the fire chief of a, a small town in Northern California and you're halfway competent, every city council meeting, you're going to warn of a forest fire. You're going to constantly scream that we don't have enough firefighters. We don't have the equipment we need. There's this bad thing coming. And I'm telling you, we don't want to be unprepared. Uh, and then 
Well, they they did have <laughs> some pretty bad fires, and they they were that's right. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this we we know this happened. We, we there were forest fires, and I know what you're you're getting at. It's the job of people look- who we 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 trust certain people to protect us, and right. and since they're entrusted with this sacred duty. They feel, and rightfully so, obligated to to turkey lurkey things. <laughs> yeah, but you see, if you're using critical thinking, one of the things you look at is the data. And you look at this data and you look at this uh, geometric growth in the number of cases and you look at how many hospitals do exist, how many ICU beds, intensive care beds do exist, and you look at how many are filled already. I mean, a lot of people are in the hospitals in intensive care because of either the regular flu, which, as you point out, can be really deadly also, or their heart attack, their cancers. They're, it's not like everything is empty, and then this coronavirus comes along, and you say, well, Let's put this person in bed one, this person in bed two, because maybe those are already filled. And what about these masks? You know, people were buying masks because they thought if you wore them outside, you wouldn't get the virus. And that's, of course, there's very little evidence that that does you any good at all. If you're coughing, you want to have one of these masks on because then you don't want the droplets, which is the easiest and most obvious way that this spreads, to go from your mouth or nose into somebody else's face. But we don't have enough. Okay, so so how do we? How are we supposed? I'm just asking. Let, sure. let me read you a couple of headlines. Okay. Sure. Yep. Newly unemployed grapple with fallout. U.S. jobless claims could top record 1.5 million next week. Half of patients have digestive symptoms. Uh, Outbreaks spreading in nursing homes. ER doctor said, like this one, ER doctor says hospital supplies already being rationed. Well, I clicked on that and they're already being rationed in preparation for the spike. But it sounds like they're already overflowing with patients and they have to ration out of necessity. No, it's being rationed in Denver because they're preparing for the spike. Um, yeah, but again, they these are people, unlike you and I, who um, who don't just think about these issues and have opinions about it, but these are based on predictions of epidemiologists here in the United States, coast to coast, the world-class people, which occasionally, all right, these people are occasionally even allowed to come on CNN and say something that's based on actual information. Right. And I do think that we have to believe them. And we it's not just because of their position. It's not because they're a professor of epidemiology or a virologist or in one case, a guy is both of those things, but it's because they actually have data. And if you don't drive an issue like what do you do with this crisis or potential crisis, if you don't think it's a crisis yet, 
You, you need data. You need to look at it. You can have no filter, no political agenda. So you can't be a Democrat just trying to make Donald Trump look bad. And you can't be a sycophant for Donald Trump and just hope this doesn't undermine his reelection chances. There is data. It's good data. And it's, you know, one or two anecdotes do not prove a point that's not enough but you start to accumulate this data and i think the data is overwhelmingly negative it is we have not prepared and and arguably not even we weren't prepared for this before donald trump even became the president okay well let's turn to the religious nut of the week and before yes before you talk about perry stone yes Again, I I'm telling people stay home, flatten the curve, obey the CDC. Uh, yep. Uh, but you know, we noticed that CO two levels in Wuhan are down. The smog is disappearing. The environment is getting better because of people staying home. That resetting our economy, resetting our values, taking a Sabbath and figuring out what we really need and what we want is a healthy thing to do. It's a necessity. We've been going at this pace that's destroying the planet. So I there's a part of me because I do have an agenda to get rid of fossil fuels, to get rid of Donald Trump. To, sure. to, to, to put an end to these wars and, and to cut Pentagon funding in half and, and spend the money on something like a pandemic to change our public health infrastructure. So it's equipped to deal not just with a pandemic, but the epidemic of millions of people who are uninsured or underinsured. So I have an agenda. To look at this pandemic and say, you see, we had it coming and and this is it. This is going to be the proof that we have to change our ways. I'm going to. And so Jerry Falwell used 9-11, his infamous speech where he blamed the gays, the sodomites. That's right. The, the, the secular atheists, they they caused the towers to come down. People use events like this to push people towards their agenda. Tell me about uh, Perry Stone. Well, Perry Stone is um, a, lives in Tennessee, has a ministry down there. He's not as well known as some of the people, including the uh, gentleman uh, whose uh, office you uh, you spoke to last uh, week on, on this broadcast. But Perry Stone is kind of obsessed these days with the coronavirus. And three times in the last week, he's done sermons about it. In one, he explained that uh, the reason that this is worst in, in three states, the three heaviest hit states at the moment, Washington State, California, New York, is it because they're blue states, because they're states that do not support the efforts of, of his uh, chosen leader, Donald Trump. Then he went on and did what Jerry Falwell uh, did, as you pointed out, after 9-11. He said, uh, Perry Stone said that this is an example of a curse from God 
because of abortion and gays. Mm-hmm. So he kind of repeated that. Right. And then finally has a theory that the reason that old people, older people, are, are dying at a higher clip than younger people is because this is an effort by Satan uh, to get rid of people who are conservative, morally conservative people, and as he put it a few days ago, will not accept the mark of the beast. This, of course, is a a kind of a fringe theory in Christianity that the beast is coming and uh, it will mark people, and if you have a mark of the beast, and he said a lot of young, young people have it because of their profligacy and their, their gayness and their sex and their everything. Those people, they're going to accept the mark of the beast, but the older people won't accept it, so they have to be killed right now. And when you look at these uh, scenes of beaches in Florida, um, you know, it's hard not to disagree with him. I mean, here there were five people, young people, interviewed on CBS Evening News just a day or so ago. And these were all people who were saying things like, hey, I mean, I, I might have the corona, but I mean, I, I don't if I get the corona. I mean, I paid a lot of money to come down here and party. One woman said, you know, it's my 21st birthday. What am I supposed to do? I want to have a good time. These are people sitting right. Lord knows what else they're doing. I'm sure your listeners can imagine it. But this is this is ridiculous. These are people who do not believe that they are vulnerable to this. And there's a mounting evidence that they are, but let, let's say they're not, they're not going to be as vulnerable as I would be. They're, doing, they're not make, changing any of their behavior. They're putting themselves at risk, and they're putting people like me at greater risk, because to the extent that they are carriers of this, remember, one of the things we don't know is how many people are infected, because we don't test enough people. And then even if we had enough test kits, we don't have enough blood tests to determine whether someone's actually over the virus. So these, these kids, I mean, I, those five kids, they actually know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their names, and I, I was thinking that I would think it would be a public service if someone just uh, wrote the names down, uh, put it on a big Internet page uh, so that any f- future employer could look at them and make sure that they're not thinking of hiring any one of those five people. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then again, we have bigger fish to fry. Maybe our news media should just be interviewing more and more epidemiologists and scientists and not focusing on the, the dimwits. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. If you don't focus on the dimwits, it's if you see these people, you go, God, those people are dimwits. But it's not that they're dimwits. It's that they're causing a danger. The reason you want to flatten out this curve, the phrase everybody uses, is so that you don't overwhelm the system. If, if in fact, you're more right than I am, it's because enough people have said, I'm not going to go and contract this because it's the contracting of the virus right now when we are underprepared for it. That's when it reaches that 
point of not just thinking about how you uh, parcel, uh, parcel out uh, uh, whatever you're trying to distribute in the hospital because you don't have as many people getting sick at the same time. That's why it's important to flatten the curve so that you give this a chance to go on its pace for months and months and months and not overwhelm hospitals in two weeks. Okay. That's why you have to show the, you know, if you don't show these dimwits, um, people, they don't even want to believe it. So if an epidemiologist says, um, you know, there are a lot of young people, uh, they're, they're partying a lot on the beaches and, uh, they shouldn't do that. That's not quite, doesn't have the impact of seeing these idiots talk to a correspondent on CBS a day ago because then you go i i hope my own kid is not thinking the same way very quickly we have to wrap it up dick burr senate intelligence chairman of the senate intelligence committee what did he do well according to uh tape released uh, earlier today by national public radio they have a tape of him telling a bunch of wealthy donors on the 27th of February, that what is about to happen with the coronavirus is, in his words, akin to the 1918 pandemic. And now while Trump was still saying that uh, all this would disappear, Richard Burr, who's not the wealthiest member of of the Senate by any means, but he sold close to a million dollars of stock on February the 13th, just as he was receiving these classified briefings where at least some people in the administration said, we are looking at a coming disaster. So he talks to the public. We were looking into this. He's looking into his stock portfolio and selling many of his holdings all on the same day. Now, normally you'd call that insider trading, but uh, technically it isn't. Yeah, yeah. But it's dishonest. It's immoral. Now, the standard... um, the standard is not what you can get away with. The standard is what is right to do. And these people who are seeking the bailouts now, and I would uh, hope that uh, this in one second here, you know, Elizabeth Warren has a plan for everything, and she has a plan for any potential bailouts. And there are four or five things she wants to insist upon if any airlines, uh, industries, any cruise line companies get any of this government funds and one of the things that just go to one of them there's this phenomenon called called stock buybacks if you have cash one of the things that a lot of companies do now to change the law to permit them to do this is to buy back their own stock that means if they have cash they're buying back their own stock it's so it looks good on paper but now they don't have cash and they can't do the things that are necessary like hiring more people or preparing for the potential of some kind of a, uh, a calamity. So the airlines, uh, after 9-11, have talked about this many times. Um, they say, bail us out. We bail them out. They say, yeah, 
all that cash, but then they use it to buy their own stock instead of preparing some kind of a cushion for the next time, this time, today. Yeah, corporations can't be trusted with a no. surplus. It's, of course it, not. Yeah. They, they, they rather create <laughs> a, a demand for their stock because if you were to have $15 billion in cash, that's an invitation for mischief. <laughs> exactly. Because they wouldn't want to commit any mischief themselves. No, it's, 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 it, you know, what you said a few minutes ago was absolutely right. This is a time when, if there's ever been a time in my lifetime when we could look at what's going on and say, you know, we've screwed this up. We don't, we, we are not functioning the way a country of this size and of this power and of this wealth should function. And I think this really is a potential tipping point where we start to look at the policies of Bernie Sanders and the policies of Elizabeth Warren and the most progressive people in the Democratic Party and say, you know, maybe these people are onto something. And this is, if anything, that has a shred of uh, a brightness uh, in in the way I look at what's going on in these last couple of weeks. It's that I do think a large number of people are saying, you know what, we have been screwed. And who's screwed us? Big companies yeah. that don't have our best interest in mind. The end. end the end is near. Is as <laughs> old as the Old Testament, right? The prophets of doom. That's right. Right. The prophets of doom and repent or God's repent. wrath will fall upon you. That is hardwired into our DNA. There is this. By our very own nature, we are scolds and seeing those kids, these young, virile children parting <laughs> uh, during spring break, it brings out. Our Jeremiah, doesn't it? And yes, it we want to launch, you know, and scold them. And don't you see the, the, these transgressions <laughs> will lead to the death of all of us? And we're prone to warning that the end is near. It, repent, change your ways, or pay the consequences. All of us hate Trump. All of us are dissatisfied with capitalism, Washington, the way this country is responding to climate change. Aren't we perhaps relying on this pandemic to to say to the Israelites, <laughs> look, look what you have, look what you hath wrought. Isn't that a, a human trait that may not be uh, based in any reality? I mean, the great awakenings in this country always stemmed from some natural calamity. There, there were these fires, I believe, in, sure. in, in New England, and the skies were dark, and all the, the religious leaders came out of the woodwork and repent and we all had to change our ways uh we need to change our ways there's no question about that i just can't help but wonder if 
people are using this pandemic, which is dangerous. And and I hope I'm right. I can't help but wonder if the pandemic is being used the same way eclipses of the sun (laughs) were used 4000 years ago. Well, you know, it's an interesting analogy, David, but I think it's not quite on target because I think that here you see this awakening. You know, we we've getting ready for the awakening. When you look at Bernie, I've given up on Bernie. I want to tell you, I'm sorry to say that. But but what he's done to move the country and yes, even the Democratic Party further and further to the left means that we're ripe to think, to put this virus in context and say, what have we learned and where were we going if we were going in the more progressive direction and then this hits us and kicks us in the behind to go faster in that direction? Well, I think that's a better description of it than thinking this is like the eclipse that's going to convince people that... uh, you know, you pray more or uh, the sun will never come back. The sun could come back, but it's not going to come back with the happy talk of Donald Trump saying, as soon as this is over, <laughs> the market will pop up. Okay. It's going to become because you work at it, because you take the values that have been a part of the Bernie Sanders campaign, a part of what AOC and those younger members of the House are supporting and say, this is another wake-up call. I don't know if it's so much of a scold, although I do understand there's a bit of a scold to yeah. it. But it's more than that. It's coming out the other end, not just with, thank God we got over this, but with a new way to look at the economy and a new way to look at the politics of America. And I think we're heading in that right direction. And that's the most affirmative thing I can say uh after this conversation again i I just we have to wrap it up sure again i am telling people stay indoors do not spread don't go to the beach stay indoors stay indoors stay indoors don't shake hands keep six feet away from everybody i'm not minimizing any of this we have to flatten the curve i'm just asking questions and of course thinking positively and i'm trying to uh calm everybody down because right now i'm not so sure it's healthy to be locked in your cabin terrified <laughs> that's how you end up with ted kaczynski the reverend barry w lynn <laughs> was the executive director of americans united for separation of church and state from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being a lawyer, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Exactly. It's only been 40 minutes, I'm, but you're on it. You've Good. remembered it for that long. Thank you. Be Thank well, you. sir. Follow the Thank Reverend you. Barry W. Lynn over Twitter. It's Barry W. Lynn. Stand on the line for That's one right. quick second, sir. Sure. Thank you.